Uh, Trent, last night, uh, did you know that Mike Tyson and Roy Jones were boxing? I, I, was, I did not know that. So I, I, was, I was watching uh, kind of the clips on ESPN, catching kind of what was going on. Uh, and it was a draw. It was eight rounds. It wasn't three minutes long. It was two minutes long. I'm not really a big boxing fan, but like Mike Tyson, he's 54 years old. I, I wanted to catch it. And so today... When I knew we were preaching together, I thought, this is like a boxing match. Oh, so I got a text the from... The old guy. Yeah, yeah, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Yeah, was and it Mike Tyson that bit a guy's ear off? Well, or is that someone else? We don't, <laughs> we you, don't need to not go, gonna there. go there. Okay. <laughs> you got a text, you were saying. Oh yeah, from Sandra. She okay. was like, so if you're going to do a preach-off, do you want to do a dance-off too? To which I said, wow. haha, that would be a lovely idea, smiley face. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't me saying that we would. <laughs> well, I do know, Trent, at camp we have had dance parties. We've had, had, yeah, and you've seen the video. Um, I can do yes, some your, actions. Your dance moves are 100 times better than my dance moves. Oh, well. So we won't, we won't, we won't <laughs> put people in that. Okay. Uh, I, I just want to talk to our people for a second before we kind of get into a review. The, there's going to be a verse that pops up on your screen. Uh, and, and this verse is so powerful for us today and this next week and as we walk into December. It's from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And, and this verse proclaims some truths that I think we need to grab hold of today. The Lord your God is, is with you. For some of us, we feel mighty alone in this season. God is with us. The mighty warrior who saves. For some of us, we, we need saving. Uh, he takes great delight in you. He's proud of you. I know for some of us, that feeling of, what am I even up to? How could a God be proud? In his love, he no longer rebukes us. God's not worrying about what we did yesterday or what happened this morning. And then I love this verse, he, this section of the verse, he'll rejoice over you with singing. To think that God has a song for us. You know, that, that ties into kind of where we're headed today. We've been talking about the, the good work we're looking at an incredible story of an ordinary guy from the Old Testament whose name was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah just didn't end up doing a good work. He did a great work. He, here's what I know about you. And I believe this with all my heart. It's been a mantra that, that Rick Warren has said numerous times that we weren't created by accident. That the providence... The goodness of our God, he knew exactly what he was doing when he made you. He, was, he formed you. He gave you gifts. He gave you passions. He gave you desires to do something that ultimately makes an eternal difference in this world. Today, I believe that the Spirit of God will speak to many of you, to stir you, to shake you, to move you to inspire you to do the good work of the for the glory of God. I believe, it's almost like Martin Luther King, I have a dream. I believe that God has a good work for every single one of, you, of us to do the things that will make an eternal difference in this world. 
even in the midst of a frustrating pandemic that looks like it won't end. So let me remind you just for a minute of where we've been in Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't even a building guy, a building contractor. He was a regular guy who was serving the king. He was kind of like a consultant to the king. And he heard from his brother about the plight of his people. The Babylonians came in. They completely destroyed the land. They crushed Solomon's temple. They burned the gates. They left the city in complete ruins. And literally thousands and thousands of Jewish people were taken into captivity. Decades passed, and no one seemed to be able to rebuild the wall. Then one day, Nehemiah's brother traveled to Nehemiah and told him about the plight of his people. And instantly, Nehemiah's heart sank. He was broken because God's people were vulnerable. They had no leadership. There was no direction. So Nehemiah started seeking the heart of God. And one thing you'll notice over and over and over again throughout the book, 12 times actually, you'll see that Nehemiah prays and seeks God. So Nehemiah went before the king. He asked permission, can I leave my job? Can I go back to my homeland to try and assess the situation and maybe I can be a helper? Perhaps God could lead me to rebuild the wall. And at first, things didn't go very well. Eventually, they started to make progress. But what do we notice when we start to make spiritual progress? As the work goes down, the opposition rises. The moment you start creating momentum on behalf of the things that matter to God, your critics show up. And they try to stop the very work that God has put in your heart. Trent, what do we learn about today in Nehemiah's life? Well, if the enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. Hmm. If your enemy can't destroy you, he will distract you. He will do whatever he can to take, his, take your eyes off of the mission, off your call, off your purpose, he will distract you from God's will. And that's exactly what happened in the story. The wall started to go up, and then the enemies, Sanballat, Tobiah, and a guy named Geshem, they showed up and tried to distract Nehemiah off the job. And so that's why the title of this message is called Shut the Door on Distractions. Shut the Door on Distractions. So, Let's jump into this passage, let's jump into scripture and take a look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This will come up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn along. Um, so, verse 1, when they came to, then, word came to Sanballat, uh, to Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap had been le was left in it. So this is miraculous, right? This has happened. It's powerful. Um, it's a beautiful moment. Um, though, and then he says this, though we had not yet set, uh, we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So what does Sanballat and Geshem do? Well, Sanballat and Geshem um, sent a message asking me, 
asking Nehemiah to meet them at one of the villages uh, in the plain of Ono. Um, Nehemiah is invited, stop building the wall. Stop doing God's work. Um, we don't like you, we, but we want to meet. Let's go down to this valley of Ono. You know what, friends? Here's tip number one. If anyone ever invites you to go to a place called Ono, just say no. Oh, no? No. Right? All right. Say it with me. No, you don't have to. Um, yeah, tip number one. Stay away from a place called Oh, no. Don't ever go there. Um, what's interesting to me, though, when you look at this opportunity, you look at this moment, um, and if we put it into the context of our lives today, um, sometimes we can actually translate this uh, into something like this, like this. Oh, my gosh. They hate me. Um, they don't like what I'm doing. They, hmm, maybe, maybe this could be an opportunity for me to convert my critics. Or, or maybe this is an opportunity for me to go and like expand my influence. Um, or maybe even we could use some language of today. Uh, this is an opportunity for me to build my brand. Um, and this might be what we, some of us think when, when an opportunity shows up like that. Um, we could reach more people, we could establish or build credibility, or the other option is, hmm, well, if they're planning to meet me in the Valley of Ono, they gotta watch out, I'm gonna come with my people and we're gonna have a bit of a conflict here and I'm gonna settle this finally. That could be something as well. The problem is that we often, what we often think is an opportunity, God calls a distraction. What we often think is an opportunity for us to grow or to expand our influence, God calls a distraction. So we might think that this is something for us to do, um, that we might face our enemies and take them on, but it's diverting us off of the very purpose for which we've been created. The enemies say, please, come meet with us. Please, we want to do this. Oh, maybe this or maybe that. Please, please, please. And I would argue that perhaps... There's never been an easier time than this time right now in our lives um, for distractions to occupy our minds, for it to pull us away from God's will and God's purpose and his mission for us. Um, we've become really good at a couple of things in this season. Um, it's never been easier to be passionate about wasting your time, right? Like, hmm, what's my Netflix list? Because I, there's nothing else for me to do. And fair enough, this is a challenging season. But the call for us is to not be distracted. And if the devil can't destroy you, he's going get to get you really excited about distracting you. Um, so in this verse, let's go to verse 3. So what do we see in the story? The enemies, the critics, they ask Nehemiah for a meeting. Hey, let's have a meeting. And then Nehemiah says, well, so... I sent messengers to them with this reply. I like that he didn't even go. He sent messengers to them. I will carry on a great project and cannot go down. I like, I am carrying on a great project and ca cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I love it. Nehemiah rejected the meeting. Why? So that he could stay on task and keep building the wall. Nehemiah, will you meet with us? No. Nehemiah, can we have a meeting? No. 
I don't know how he said no, but he said it in probably all sorts of different ways. I will submit to you, friends, that for us, we have to be, this is one of the most strategic things for us to do in our lives, is for us to develop the capacity and the ability for us to say no. For us to say no to what might distract us so that we can turn our attention to the work that God has for us. No is one of the most important words that you can learn. And yes, children learn this word really early and sometimes overuse it, but we as adults need to relearn how to use no appropriately. I don't want to be distracted by the things of this world that take me off of God's perfect will. And is this hard? Of course it's hard. It is so hard for us to not be distracted. And particularly, if you don't have a vision of what God's will is for you, if you don't really know who you are, if you don't really know your skills or your gifts or the limits or capacities that you have, saying no is even more difficult. But that doesn't mean we can't learn. We need to learn. So let's practice this. I want to teach you how to say no, okay? So work with me on this one. When someone asks you to have a meeting, you can go and do something like this. No. Or perhaps you could do something like this. No. Or maybe nope. Um, you, you can turn to your, your friend or your sibling or your partner and you just turn to them and right now practice. No. Nah. Maybe have them practice a question and then you just say no. What, what's for breakfast? No. Well, that doesn't work quite well. <laughs> but we need to learn how to say it. Say it with grace. Say it with compassion. You can even say it with a smile on your face. But we need to learn to say no. Um, here's the deal. Um, don't say maybe if you mean no. That's really Canadian of us. We're like, we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to offend people. But if you really mean no, don't say maybe. If the maybe is a maybe, say maybe. But if it's a no, just be honest. Um, that helps us so much in our lives. Um, and when you do this, freedom begins to show up in your life. It is so powerful. Now, even Jesus, especially Jesus, said no. Um, there'd be crowds gathering. There, he's been doing miracles all day. And then there's lineups and more and more people. And then he says, he's like, I am done for the day. He would walk away. He would walk away from opportunities. He wasn't being mean. He was being wise. There were times when he would say no to the crowd so that he could say yes to the Father. Does that make sense? So he could say yes to his time with the Father because he knew that in that place, he knew what he was up to. He's like, I need time with the Father. Now, I know some of you, um, when I was working on this, this was what I thought. He's like, well, what about when Jesus, like, doesn't he often stop for distractions? Um, I know that there's along the way, right? There's these passages. Along the way, a distraction comes. You know, there's a beggar at the roadside. There's a, a cripple at the pool. There's a bleeding woman in the crowd. But these are not the distractions that Matt and I are talking about today. Those were divine moments, callings from the Father and the Spirit, where Jesus was attentive and he knew, this is actually a place for me to say yes. And so I don't want us to be confused with that, but Jesus understood the difference between giving in to these temptations from enemies and being available for God's will. Saying yes only can happen 
when we also learn to say no. We must be strategic about our no. And of course, we don't say no because we don't care. In fact, we say no because we really do care. We care deeply about what God is doing in our lives. And when we are busy saying yes to everything, we have no time. We have no capacity. We are worn out when all we do is say yes, 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 and yes. Just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should do something. Four different times, four different times, the enemy asks Nehemiah for a meeting. Will you meet with us? 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 And he says no every time. And then the fifth time, well, he says no, but the fifth time is a little different. And I'll let Matt speak to that. Thanks, Trent. It was uh, near my, the end of my time at Grace Baptist Church. I had received a fax, yes. Some of you know what a fax is. It's that curly paper that came out of a machine before we had emails. The fax read from a church in Topeka, Kansas, that they were coming up in the cold of winter to picket in front of our church. They believed I wasn't outspoken enough on the issues of the day. So they showed up. And they had signs that I can't repeat today. They didn't know me. They didn't know my heart. They probably even didn't know what I looked like or even who I was. A few years later, I was going to speak at Breakforth Conference in Edmonton. I'd just finished up my time at Grace Baptist Church. I had become the director of training initiatives for an organization called Sun Life Ministries in Chicago. My boss, my good friend Chris Folmsby, had just released his first book, A New Kind of Youth Ministry. And the foreword was written by Brian McLaren. Two weeks before, I started to receive notifications through my Google alert telling me that there were people blogging stuff about me and telling people to stay away from my ungodly seminars that I was going to facilitate. Those individuals didn't know me. They didn't talk to me. They were spreading rumors and untruths about me. They didn't even know Chris, and they certainly didn't know Brian. There's a rumor. There's a rumor uh, around the surrounding nations, and a guy named Geshem... He's another bad guy in this story. Geshem tells me it's true. The rumor is that you and Nehemiah and the Jews are planning to rebel. And that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, Nehemiah, you're going to be the king. Don't let the whispers of people distract you from the call of God. Don't let it happen. Don't let it pull you away. Don't let it distract you. I'll hope, I, I hope you'll understand today that you'll never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. We're never going to let the opinions of others take us away from the call of God. Hopefully this will speak to some of you who actually have critics in your life right now. I have come to realize that I need to not worry about what people say about me. Worry about what's true about you. Just live a life that honors God and don't let the critics, don't let others knock you down. There's a rumor. In verse 8, 
Look what Nehemiah does. Nothing. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. Let me be honest with you, that might be the first text message that we see in Scripture. You're just making it up in your head. He replies in in verse 8, there's no truth to any part of your story. You're making it all up. Instead of letting the opposition discourage Nehemiah. You know, those thoughts, they don't like me. I can't please everyone. We're never going to get this job done. Instead of letting it discourage him, God simply made him more determined. Our God is with us, and we're going to do it. Watch how it's described in the next verse, verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us. They were thinking their hands will get too weak for their work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, Nehemiah prays, strengthen our hands. God, they're just trying to intimidate us. Could you imagine that these people are throwing discouragement at them, trying to stop their work? So what did Nehemiah do? I continued to work with even greater determination. I just continued on. The voice of people will always talk me out of the calling of God. In fact, if you read it in the text, what I love is the way that they worked. If you studied Nehemiah, you'd actually see this. They're building the wall with, one, with a tool in one hand, and they have a weapon in the other hand. Isn't that true? We've got a tool in one hand, the work, and we've got a weapon in the other, God's word. And we're prepared to actually do the work of God. And whatever opposition tries to talk us off of it, it just doesn't discourage us. It builds our faith. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And we do the work with even more determination. What do we know? Once the wall starts going up, once God starts to bless whatever we're doing, Once we start to live into that realization that it's God working through me and I'm created for so much more. Right now, God gave you gifts to make a difference in this world. And as the church, we represent Jesus to the world. The moment we take a step of faith, we may see progress, but we're going to see resistance. You know, you'll start to be a light and a witness to the people you work with. You'll start being a voice of hope and love to those who are struggling this season. And when that starts to happen and God starts to use you, you have to be careful that you don't let the external success do internal damage to your heart. You see, what's really easy is when we start seeing success, we start thinking, hey, it's me. Look what I do. Look at how gifted I am. In fact, one of the biggest dangers that any of us face with success, and Nehemiah faced this, is the temptation to start leading with an entitled heart, an entitled spirit. I'm owed this, or I'm owed that. We need to be careful. Trent, what's Nehemiah's response to that? Yeah, so Nehemiah's response 
to the potential for an entitled spirit, um, it's, it's hidden right inside of the story. So let's jump right into verse 10 and see what it says. So Nehemiah said this later on. He said, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and to the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, uh, meet, yeah, in, meet inside the temple uh, doors. Sorry, I just got myself distracted. Um, <laughs> who was shut in at home. So this plot is developing. Um, and he wants to meet inside of the house of God, inside the temple, and let's close in the doors. Now, why might this be the case? Well, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. So this is someone that would, we would think, oh, he's, a, he's a, bre- a buddy, a friend, someone who's helping Nehemiah. And Nehemiah could, with his kind of an entitled spirit, be like, yeah, that's right. Let's go into, into the temple. I have the right to do that. I could do that. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't go there. Um, what's interesting is because Nehemiah actually had the authority to go into the temple, but he didn't do it because it would have been for personal gain and not for God's glory. He would have been abusing his power. Um, now let's read on. On verse 11 it says this, But I said, Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and uh, Sanballat had hired him. Wow. Um, He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name and and to discredit me. So Nehemiah in this situation, he's saying, I'm not going to hide out. I'm not going to take any special privileges um, and refuse to lead. I'm going to walk away from this situation in a different way. I'm not going to be entitled. He didn't come to make a name for himself. He came to build a wall, and that's what he did. Uh, Nothing will distract him. This was his focus. This was his call. Any diversion, any distraction, any temptation, um, he would do nothing else but stay on target because he knew his purpose, and he knew his calling for his life. Um, We have to watch for it whenever and wherever. um, Whenever you start to succeed and grow and blossom, um, there's that pressure. There's that entitled spirit. And here we have him having this healthy, important perspective. Um, Now, I have some pastor friends, and they have a, uh, a statement. And I often laugh at it, but there's a lot of truth in this in in this as well because the enemy he won't go away he continues and the more you succeed the more you go into uh, serving the lord um, the more intensity shows up and it's this new level new devil Um, i I, I laugh at it but it's true a new level brings a new devil so we need to get ready Um, because the people like these characters that were trying to distract nehemiah We're going to have people continuing to distract us. We have to continue to figure this out, continue to press on. We need to press on and keep our eyes fixed on God's will in our lives. Hmm. 
Trent, Lisa just uh, sent in something a few minutes ago that just said, my work as an interpreter over COVID hasn't been steady. And with this recent announcement, I thought that I'd once again be out of work, but I found out yesterday that my work will resume until Christmas, which is an answer to prayer. Awesome. And Amen. we celebrate that, Lisa. Yeah. You know, what a story. What a journey with Nehemiah. If you remember in, in week number one, chapter uh, two, we looked at this, that Nehemiah said, let the good work begin. He knew when he started, it was a good thing. But as he continued, he started to see the faithfulness of God. He realized this isn't just a good work you see. This is a great work. This is something that God had created me to do. He put me in the exact place at the right time with the right king who granted me the right provision to do the right purpose to go back and inspire the people. <laughs> to do something that will outlast me. This isn't good work you do. This is great work. Nehemiah sends a message to those who doubted, to the critics, to the ones that were against him saying, look, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm not wasting my time. I'm doing a great work. I can't be bothered by your opinion. I'm doing a great work. Your criticism won't deter me from what I'm doing and what God created me to do. Because I'm doing a great work. And I can't come down. Why would I stop and leave and come to you? I'm doing a great work. I'm not trying to do something that's impressive. My God has called me to do something important. I don't answer to you. I'm not trying to be popular. I'm just trying to live out my purpose. I'm doing a great work. I hope at home you hear this. Because I think it's so true for your life right now. Many of us are feeling a longing to do something different. And I hope that you'll realize that this season won't last forever. And what you're doing right now in the midst of COVID is a great work. Embrace it. Don't come down. You're doing a great work. Maybe somebody that is watching this is trying to pay off some debts. And slow dollar by dollar by dollar by dollar, the hill just feels so big. Maybe you hear the enemy saying to you, it's not worth it. No, you're doing a great work. Don't come down. I'm doing what God has called me to do and I can't come down. Some of you, you're trying to love someone in your neighborhood or your workplace or your family. And it feels like you just can't reach them. Their heart seems hard. You feel like giving up. Today declare I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop. You see, I'm doing a great work. Maybe you have a vision for something, a heart for something. You want to make a difference. And it seems like you take two steps forward and three steps backwards. Don't give up the fight. You know that if you stay in the game and you don't grow weary in doing good, that at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. You don't understand. This is my calling. This is my burden. I can't shake it. I'm doing what God put my, on my heart to do. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Look at verse 14 and 15. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat. 
Remember them, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Little sidebar. He still wants God to get the people that are against him. But you see the result? What I want you to see is that there's no supernatural miracle from heaven. It was a leadership miracle with favor from God by using the ordinary hands of of his people. Let me show you this miracle. Verse 14, Nehemiah says, Remember, O God, he's praying again, he's talking to God. The same God that called him is the same God that equipped him. The same God that stood with him. The same God that empowered him. The same God that brought him favor and victory. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after he had begun the good work. What I love about this story is there's no supernatural miracle from heaven. There's no talking donkey. There's no fire from heaven. There's no burning bushes. There's no bricks that are just falling down like a giant game of Jenga. There's no parting of the Red Sea. Renfrew, are you catching this? This is us, a group of ordinary people who are trying to do the extraordinary. There was no army of 10-foot angels. There was no eyes blazing with fire-wielding swords. There was no music in the background blaring, we are the champions. There's none of that in this story. There's just an ordinary guy whose heart was broken by the plight of his people. That's right. He was just an ordinary guy whose heart was broken by the plight of his people. He was a guy who sat down and cried, who knelt down and prayed, and then he stood up and he acted. And through the entire story, he sought God faithfully. He made his plans carefully. He inspired people passionately. He pushed back the critics and he kept his eyes on the prize. Whenever the enemies would try to distract him, he would say no to anything that was lesser. Because he, he was saying yes to a greater work. In verse 16, it kind of ends here. Um, this is what scripture says. That when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen. But, but, I hate saying this, and yet, the story actually doesn't end there. If this was the end of Nehemiah, that would, this would be perfect. But both Ezra and Nehemiah as one story, friends, it's more complicated than that. Yes, the people confessed their sins, they read scripture, they had a party, they celebrated. Um, some of the exiles started to move back, the wall was dedicated, and then... Nehemiah leaves to be with the king in Babylon for a while, and when he comes back, he notices a few things. And this is important. It leads to where we're headed today. That the people were not attending the temple, they were not attending to the temple, or respecting the job of the priests and the Levites. The people were still working on the Sabbath, 
and people were setting up shop against the walls, compromising them for enemies. And then Nehemiah goes on this weird rampage where he's going around screaming down curses on Israelites, beating people up, pulling out their hair. He made them, he made them swear oaths in God's name that they would not give their daughters in marriage to foreigners. Picture that. How authentic is that? You will swear an oath. So there's this strangeness that kind of the whole story ends on a bit of a downer. And it all points in one direction. The need for a new heart, not a new wall. The need for a new spirit, not a temple. The need for a true and lasting reformation and reform that man can never force, but God and God alone can do. This book, like the entire Old Testament, highlights the need and points with hope to the greatest good work ever. Jesus. Christmas is coming. There's loved ones that we can't see, gifts to give, baking that will be shared. We prepare our homes for the celebration. Yet even more important than this outward preparation is the preparation of our heart. The Advent season is a reminder to prepare our hearts as we prepare our homes. To celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. At the start of this week, we light our, the first of our four candles of the Advent wreath. The candle of hope and prophecy. Is your heart filled with hope? Do you have a confident expectation of your tomorrow? What happens when the road ahead is filled with loss and stress? Just begins to weigh our shoulders down. When the confident expectation is removed by tomorrow's deadlines, what can you do? How can you walk in hope when all around us seems so hopeless? In one answer, the complete answer, the one with great expectation is Jesus. We hope in Jesus. We put our hope for help in Jesus. We put our hope to overcome our challenges in Jesus. We put our hope for power in Jesus. And ultimately, we have a hope of eternity because of Jesus. God, I pray that you would speak to us individually. God, that you would stir within us, that you would show up in our lives in such a way that we would be called to serve and turn to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day for some of us. Today is the day for some of you to start anew, to turn your eyes from small things to Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior, to put your hope in him. He's the only one that can give a new heart and a new spirit. I'd just like to pray a prayer that's really simple. And if it's a, and I would encourage some of you to just pray along with me. Maybe just in your mind or just, un, in your, just quietly. 
Lord Jesus, I turn from my sins. I give my life to you, Jesus. I give my life back to you, Jesus. I turn from my fears. I turn from my entitlements. I turn from from bitterness and anger. I turn from my self-pity and my shame. Jesus, you give me hope. You are my hope. Lord, I choose to leave this service with hope, not because of the world and the works of people, but because of you. Amen. Friends, I would encourage you to go in peace. And on your way, before you log off, before you sign off, turn off, that you would read uh, the passage, the questions and the responses that we have in the next two minutes. Uh, That they will help you, guide you. Uh, They can take a photo with your camera and talk about it as a family maybe in this week. Go in peace. Amen. Amen.